0: Welcome to Paddy Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf Balls, who deliver you affordable to a performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. I play the Seed 2 Pro Plus, which is geared for lower spin from the driver, a lower kind of ball flight, more run out, and gives me an extra check and control around the greens. While I might be out of control, the ball certainly isn't. So it's perfect for the links of golf I'm accustomed to playing. Dean over at Seed keeps telling me to get my order in because they are selling like hot cakes. On today's show, we have... Mr. Fit for Golf answering all of your questions that you've all sent in all around fitness and golf. But first, before we go anywhere, if you can, wherever you're listening to this podcast, leave a review and check out www.pedagolf.com and join the timesheet. Now it's time to roll it there, Colette.
1: I mean, listen, we talking about practice. George Raleigh told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's George Bradley? What do he get it at? Donald Donovan is the last motorbike. He hits it. hits
0: Thank you for pressing play on today's show. We have a golf strength and conditioning expert. He has his own app all around fitness for golf, pushes out loads of great content daily on social media, has released his own fitness recipe ebook now as well. And in these times of isolation, he's doing online zoom home workouts for the masses. But most importantly for some people, he's a cork man, Michael Carroll, aka fit for golf on Instagram. Welcome to the show,
1: buddy. Thank you very much for having me on, Patty. Really appreciate it.
0: No fear at all, it's take two and um, some listeners may have tried to tune in um, a couple of weeks ago, um, audio wasn't on point, so fair play to Mike, we've come back on, we're going to do, uh, do it again, um, so it's like stage two of one of your programmes, Mike.
1: Yeah, no worries, um, Yeah, unfortunately the last audio was, was a tough listen, you couldn't really uh, get through it at all, so I'd much prefer to, uh, to do it properly than, than leave that up or just have to take it down.
0: No, no, absolutely, absolutely. In that case, done was not better than perfect, where I was in the pursuit of perfection here and make everything a little bit better. It's all those extra percents that we all strive for. Um, so thank you very much. Corkman, but now in Irvine, California. How did that happen?
1: Um, I saw a tweet on the TPI Twitter account that Hansen Fitness for Golf, who's now my employer, was looking for a full-time golf strength and conditioning coach to start work uh, immediately, that was in January of 2016, and I had no real kind of massive ties to home. Essentially, like was was just out of college, uh, was renting space from Fitness Works Gym where I'd been for about five years, and um, was just renting a house in Cork. So when the opportunity came up to work full time with golfers in orange county california it was something that i was quite interested in and then fast forward to october 2016 i kind of got the visa stuff sorted out there was also uh, a job that i'd started working in cork in 2016 that i was eager to finish i was uh, just after accepting the strength and conditioning job for the cork senior ladies football team um and we were just starting to get up and running so i told my boss after he'd kind of accepted me to come over that uh, I wanted to finish that and as soon as their season was over uh, I would so that's that's what happened I've been now in Southern California in Orange County for three and a half years working full-time with golfers um, in the gym for Hanson Fitness for Golf and then I kept going with the Fit for Golf brand that most people would kind of know me for or anyone who knows me for and uh, mostly through an online capacity and um, because I built up sort of some some business, I suppose, back in Ireland, but uh, moved it mainly to the app uh, setup, basically, that a lot of people are are now following from around the world.
0: Absolutely, um, and that little job—I wouldn't say little—unless um, I was in Little Island uh, with the Cork ladies. You finished on a high before you moved to the states, didn't you?
1: Yeah, it was—it was unbelievable, really. Um, they. Dublin in the final uh, very tight game but just yeah really really enjoyable year um yeah it's it was it's just really good experience you basically get kind of full reign to put in place your own training plan so there's quite a lot quite a lot of responsibility and you're dealing with players who are way more experienced as players than you are as a coach but kind of when everybody's striving to work towards the same the same common objective basically once you can give them good information and explain to them why you think you can help basically the um the buy-in is usually quite good and was also lucky in that like the athletes that you're dealing with it's not exactly hard to um to make them a little bit better you know they're already unbelievably good and dedicated athletes you're just trying to sort of improve the structure of training a little bit i suppose and uh, the management setup was was very good too. James Masters, the former Cork footballer, was the head coach. Um, and Ify Fitzgerald, who's had huge success with Nemo Rangers, um, was the manager. You can imagine uh, a Douglas man and two Nemo men now trying to get along with the training, but um, it was OK. That's a,
0: that's a job in itself. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so before we get into um I suppose, your qualifications and then, I suppose, Paddy Talk's listeners' questions. Um, What,
1: I suppose, would be your earliest memory of golf? Uh, There was a pitch and putt club, Douglas Pitch and Putt Club in Cork, was walking distance from the house. And I got into that just a couple of summers. And then eventually, like a couple of people were like, have you ever tried golf, etc.? And um, one of my friends' dads uh, brought us out in Matten Golf Club. And just really enjoyed that set up broader than the pitch and putt. could see there was kind of a little bit more to it. And then my next birthday, I got a, hot, a half set of clubs. Uh, play, I joined Mahan Golf Course on a season ticket. Played there for the summer. And then that Christmas got a juvenile membership. And that was kind of me set for a couple of years. Then just got really, really interested in playing as much as possible. And you know, getting the handicap and trying to get that down. And trying to get on the various club teams and stuff like that.
0: Absolutely. And then where did you turn your hand to fitness then? What age were you um, when you decided actually fitness? That's for me.
1: Uh, When I went to secondary school, I started doing athletics with the school team. And we had a really, really good coach A guy called Steve Macklin, who's become an extremely high level athletics coach since in an international level. And doing that, I could see the benefits. Now, it's a different kind of type of fitness or whatever, but I could really see the benefits that that sort of training had for my GA in soccer. And a couple of years later, um, my older brother, who was four years ahead of me in school, he went to UL and did the sport and exercise science degree that I ended up doing four years behind him. So as he was starting out in that, I was kind of halfway through secondary school and picking up some of the stuff that he was learning. And I was taking golf reasonably seriously at the time and got a gym membership in the local gym fitness works. Um, At about that time, I was probably in third or fourth year, uh, started doing kind of some strength training and could really see a difference in my golf game, just golf swing and kind of how far you could hit the ball and things like that. And then as the interest went on with the strength and conditioning stuff, and I went and did that in college it was sort of natural that I was always linking the stuff I was learning back to the, the sports I played and the sports I was interested in, really. So it's probably no surprise that the two sports I worked most in were GEA and golf when I kind of started working as a strength and conditioning practitioner.
0: Absolutely. So
1: when did you, I suppose, discover TPI? Um. Honestly probably midway through secondary school, just from like Google searching and being interested in stuff like that. Like I was probably already doing my own kind of little bits of research and reading when I was in secondary school, just about training for sports or kind of just looking up gym programs or whatever. And if you type kind of golf fitness or anything like that into any search engine, TPI will come up pretty quickly. So I'd known about it for a while. And then um it was when i was finished college that uh, i actually went and went and did the, the the level one certification course over in the belfry i went over with one of my buddies uh, simon keelan who is now a caddy on the pga tour for seamus power um, and i took the level one course and when i came back from that i'd already been working with some golfers but that's kind of when i had the idea to set up the fit for golf kind of brand and started i suppose accepting people for, uh, I suppose I did more kind of widespread advertising, essentially, and make myself more available for small group fitness classes and TPI assessments and things like that. And that's really when the golf clients started picking up. I was very lucky in that from when I'd been playing golf, I developed um, just some kind of good relationships with golfers and golf coaches. Um, Fred Toomey, the Munster Branch coach, uh, Podrick Dooley, Davey Barry, and Stephen Hayes in particular, were regularly sending me a lot of their uh, students to get assessments and help them with their training. And just from playing golf, I had some friends as well that were kind of interested in starting some training. And pretty quickly that, you know, Cork's cork small, once you know a few people, um, the I suppose if you can build up the reputation a little bit, the the clients start to come in or even more important than come in, they stay once they do. And that was basically it. And it was really only when I was kind of getting up and running, to be honest, uh, that the call from TPI went up on Twitter and that I started investigating maybe moving on.
0: Okay, doc. So if you can explain TPI a bit to us because there's different levels of certifications um, because like I can go and I can get a TPI level one myself and do the days in the belfry but it wouldn't be the same as your one because you have um you have the proper qualification in college from um is it bioscience it's not it's physical science you did in college i
1: I did a sport and exercise science is the degree
0: yeah so like i could go and get a tpi level one now and i could go screening people i think i could like an online pt or whatever but like I, i wouldn't do it i'd do it for my own like self education, but can you break down? I suppose the different avenues you can go to in TPI. So that anyone listening, when they're looking to get TPI screened, they can that they can differentiate between someone yeah. who's maybe gone online and got a quickie TPI certification because it's just well, it's, it's easy to attain versus someone yeah, who's highly qualified.
1: It's, it's been a it's been a little while since I've looked into exactly what they're doing. They they update kind of their their certifications and things like that quite regularly. Um, but I know that when I was doing mine, TPI have, well, fir- first of all, TPI level, TPI have three levels they have level one, level two, and level three. So, as I said there earlier, I went to TPI level one with one of my friends who at the time was a golf professional, he was an instructor. So, what TPI aim to do with their level one certification is get anybody basically who works with golfers from either a golf or fitness or medical. Uh, background and they try and get all of them on the same page. So level one has trainers, physios, golf coaches, uh, doctors, like basically anyone in that realm, they all do the same level one. And then what happens from there is if you want to go on to level two and level three, you go down separate pathways. So for example, as a strength and conditioning coach, I went and did the golf fitness pathway level two and level three whereas if I was a golf instructor I would have gone down the TPI golf level two and level three and the other thing then to remember is that and this is an important differentiation too based on what you were asking is that TPI have what's called majoring and minoring which is kind of an American college term but basically what that means is that TPI will allow anybody do any course and they'll allow you take the certification at the end but they want to be able to differentiate between somebody who is just interested in whatever pathway they've gone down or studied, which is usually the level one if it's someone who's not a practitioner. And they don't want them to be able to basically advertise or market themselves the same way as someone who has an underlying qualification in the area. So if you're, if, if, Patty, you decide that you want to do, okay, I want to do TPI level one, I sign up online, et cetera, and you pass the, the exam. Rather than you saying, like, I'm TPI level one certified, I'm now doing screenings. Basically, what it's supposed to do is you're you're, uh, cleared as having the level one certification, but you don't have any underpinning certifications. You don't have any insurance. Basically, you've no qualifications in it. You just happen to go through their course. So you're not really supposed to go out and start marketing yourself as a TPI certified instructor and start screening and training people. It's mainly supposed to be like an additional add on to somebody who already has a qualification, you know, from something that's a bit more uh, thorough or comprehensive in the field, basically.
0: Absolutely. So, moving on then, how important is it to work, I suppose, with my swing coach or whoever I get lessons from and someone like yourself, um, a TPI or strength and condition fitness specialist?
1: To work with both together, you together, mean? Together, yeah, yeah. So, like, Basically what's what's important is that there's two kind of ways of looking at it. Like number one is that if you're getting lessons from an instructor, usually the instructor is what they'd call like the top of the food chain. In that like if you're trying to get better at golf, he's really the person who's gonna have the biggest input. But if he's trying to change your mechanics or just find out about your body, not even change your mechanics, just find out about your body and why you might swing a certain way. Well, that's when somebody who has greater expertise in being able to assess what your body is and isn't capable of and also just what your general strength and power levels are like to give him information. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the two ways that I try to break it down are, to people are that number one is that if you're struggling with a certain, say, movement tendency in your swing, let's just say, for example, you stand up through impact and your hips don't clear well enough, just for example, And you and your coach are having a really tough time. Your coach has decided that that's something he wants to change. And you're both having a really tough time kind of figuring out why why it's not happening. You're practicing all the drills he tells you. You both understand it. And then you have someone assess your left hip and you say, well, look, you only have 15 degrees of internal rotation on your left hip. This is why you can't clear your hips through the ball like you want to. So then what you can say to the coach and the player is, well, you basically have two options. We can see if, if we're able to improve the mobility of this left hip, well, then maybe it will be much easier for you to do the move that you and your coach are talking about. Or it might be a case of, look, basically that's the amount of mobility that you're stuck with in this left hip based on the way you're born, your structure, that's, that's what you're dealing with. So then the coach and the player can come up with a new strategy or basically work around the, the issue essentially. And then the no, absolutely.: thing, Yeah, And then the second thing which a lot of people forget about is depending on the level of golf that you want to play, like it's very clear how important club head speed is as you go through the ranks of golf. If you look through like professional golf, it's v- like once you go below about 112, 111, 110, club head speed with the driver, there's very, very few players are up near the top of the rankings. There is some of them exist, like Matt Kuchar is a good example. There's probably a couple I'm forgetting about as well, but most of them like are getting up into at least the mid like one teens, like one, so in the FedEx Cup last year for players ranked one to 150, the average club head speed was 115 miles per hour. Like that's pretty fast. So a lot of people like they're not going to be getting to that without doing some like reasonably good strength and conditioning unless they're just naturally blessed with with, a, with very good explosiveness but and i think that number is going to start creeping up too uh just based on the college players we see and kind of golf's getting more popular so better better athletes are now choosing to play golf when before they would have chosen like football or baseball or basketball maybe so that's the second thing you have Helping somebody with their mechanics, if they have kind of like mobility limitations, helping the coach and player understand why their body can't do certain things or why they might be inclined to swing a certain way. And then the second one is essentially like strength and power levels. Does this golfer have enough horsepower to make it easy to compete at the level? Well, not easy, but do they give themselves a good chance to compete at the level they want to? Again, power is not the only thing, but we can see that it's it's really, really important. And there's there's a threshold where if you're below you better be unbelievably good at everything else and that obviously puts a lot of pressure on the other parts of your game
0: definitely definitely i suppose another part of the question is some people wouldn't i suppose see the availability of a, a golf fitness specialist and they'll go to a pt and, and they mightn't know anything about golf and they'll give you a good a good program for the beach but not necessarily, and it would hinder your golf swing as well. So it's, it's just more, it's from that well, side of things as well.
1: It, the only thing I'd be, I'd kind of interject with there is that I think people overplay the importance of, say, things being good for your golf game and bad for your golf game. Like the difference between, say, doing not training and going to a regular PT who can provide a reasonably decent program like that's still going to be way way better than the person who's not doing anything. Yes, mm-hmm. there's yes, there is additional benefits to going to somebody who like understands preparing somebody for sport and understands the golf swing a lot better, but I I'd, I'd be slow to to kind of uh, put people off going to a regular trainer in an effort to improve their golf game because to be fair, a lot of trainers now even if they like I can I can I, I know loads now of good trainers that just do the say shorter PT course or whatever than going through the college degree. Because oftentimes now, to be honest, there's not even that much benefit in terms of things that are available to you from doing the long college degree and it's way more expensive and takes way more time. So, so sometimes what I'm trying to say is there's really good trainers who don't have any special degrees.
0: Not definitely, definitely. Um, because in the fitness world, a lot of them, you know, they just want to get out and start working in gyms and working course, with yeah. people and, as well, you know? And,
1: and and too, like, what what's huge, obviously, now, is the amount of information available on the internet. Like, you could never do anything, say, um, that's, like, an official accreditation or, or qualification, but you could educate yourself extremely well online and be essentially practising with just regular pt clients in the gym or your your friends essentially and be a good trainer obviously there's going to be more who go through the kind of um more mainstream lines or whatever but it's it's definitely changing a little bit in that you can almost educate yourself a little bit and get your get your minimum qualification that allows you be insured and work and then essentially educate yourself with sort of uh Online online programs and sort of shorter courses basically
0: absolutely I mean there's Harvard if you go to Harvard Business School they offer a, a lot of a lot of courses for free that are are incredibly uh, accredited so um it's something we might all do in isolation Maybe. come here to me um. I put it out to the Paddy Talks listeners that if they did have questions for a fitness specialist without giving the game away as to who it was, to ask them. And they have. Um, So it's kind of like a a standard Fit for Golf Q&A, which I see you do many a time on Twitter, and and it's really good. So um, let's uh, answer some of these, and they might... um, get their answers audibly rather than 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 reading them on twitter or trying to find them so we have at Connor 92 and it's a yoga question and it's is yoga enough to be doing flexibility wise and if it isn't what specific strength exercises should he be doing so a bit generic on the strength side but how would you answer that one
1: yeah it's quite a regular question yoga is definitely beneficial for golfers the the kind of um Devil's advocate that I would that I would suggest with yoga is that if you have somebody whose training time is limited and they're giving up, say, two hours a week to do two yoga classes, I think that person can probably get the benefits from a one-hour yoga class in maybe like 10 minutes of very uh, concentrated and specific mobility work. I've done quite a few yoga classes and not that there's anything wrong with them. But I definitely find that during them, I'm like, okay, I could extract probably like ten minutes worth of this hour class, and get probably all the benefits that I'm looking for. And then what you can do with the rest of your time is work on some of the other things, like he's mentioned. So you can do your your mobility work that you can extract from your yoga, kind of as your warm up. So that might be ten or fifteen minutes. Then you could do some power work, uh, which is really beneficial for golfers. So things like jumping. Uh, for lower body power and maybe some medicine ball throws or explosive cable pulley or band rotations for power for maybe 10 or 15 minutes or so. And then you could move on to some strength work. And he asked about specific strength exercises. So really easy for golfers if they think of maybe uh, three or four. So I often tell people there's, there's four main strength movements that you want to cover. You want to have a type of squat movement you want to have a type of hinge movement, like a hip hinge, which is often called like an RDL or Romanian deadlift. So they're the two main lower body ones, a squat and hinge. And then for the upper body, you want to have a push and a pull, so something like a bench press or push up or overhead press, and some sort of pull, like a row or pull up. And if you can do the four of those, and you can also have maybe some sort of like rotational medicine ball throw or cable pulley rotation, which will work the trunk or core a lot, you're going to be pretty well covered then. So rather than one hour yoga, I like to have something like 10 minutes mobility, maybe 15 minutes power, and then maybe like 20 minutes strength. And that will give you a a 45 minute session that's a little bit more balanced in terms of working the fitness qualities that are really important to a golfer rather than one hour just working on mobility.
0: Definitely. And I love how you're so... um efficient with time, I try and compartmentalize everything, so <laughs> having a breakdown of how much time to spend on X, Y and Z is really, really good and it actually covers off Luke Fitzgerald's question, do you know, do you know Luke Fitzgerald? Uh, he was picked up by, um, I think it was and um, the drummer from buster or something he's gone into like golf management and they made a sky sports program about him so but he did ask that question about how much is your, of your sessions so should just split between mobility and strength and um, some of the we're seeing a lot over the last three or four weeks especially in isolation time is this question from at o'keefe robbie so um and that's around what are your thoughts on cardio and golf and when i say that i mean we've seen a lot of peloton right yeah so, so what, are you, what are your thoughts on cardio and and
1: golf and i've been i've actually been writing a lot about this lately on twitter um and the reason i keep writing about it is because i keep getting the same questions and the same kind of not that it's their their fault it's not what they're supposed to be well educated in, but lack of understanding about cardio and the demands of golf so the the first thing that needs to needs to be kind of stated is that while there's definitely some carryover there's also a difference between if you're using your exercise and training time to have maximal impact on your golf game, or if you're using your exercise and training time to get kind of as generally fit and healthy as possible and hoping that it has some transfer to your golf game. Like there are two different things. Everybody can make that decision for themselves. But then if we look at the actual demands of golf and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, say that we're walking the golf course. When people get tired towards the end of a round of golf, they often blame it on poor cardio, but that's generally not the case. Like when we're talking about cardiovascular fitness, like we're talking about our heart and lungs ability to take in and use oxygen. So if you think of when you're getting gassed, like running up a hill or halfway through your fivocyte, that's more so what's gonna be happening in terms of if your cardiovascular fitness is limited. But when you're playing a the golf, You're walking slowly, you're taking breaks, and you're hitting a shot. So the long game is the only part that requires effort when you're hitting a shot, basically, not the short game. We can train that really, really well with strength and power training, because that's more to do with, say, muscular conditioning. And then in terms of the walking, it's very rare in a round of golf. Like, it might happen on one or two holes if there's severe hills. But it's rare that it's your ability to take in and use oxygen and essentially breathe and get your breath back is the limiting factor. What happens more often than not is that people get tired towards the end of the round, in my opinion, because their muscular conditioning is starting to falter a little bit. Basically, they're getting tired. They can't make swings as well as they could on the first hole. But it's not like that their heart is racing that they can't get their breath back. So if that was the case, then it would be more of a cardio thing. So often it comes down to poor muscular conditioning it's often people who are carrying a little bit too much body fat and then it's often if people haven't been particularly good with their nutrition and hydration either before or during the round so that leads us to the point then i'm rambling a little bit but it's a good ramble do keep going well, so yeah so so so, th- so then like what we've kind of said is that yeah cardio is important for golf to a certain degree basically you don't want to be so bad that you're huffing and puffing when you're trying to get over your shot but the point of diminishing returns for cardio comes quite quickly in that as long as you're reasonably cardiovascular fit in that you're not huffing and puffing trying to hit your shot going from there to getting super fit cardiovascular wise i don't really see having that much of an impact on how well you can play golf because again the demands of cardio and golf are quite low you're walking slowly taking lots of breaks and taking a one second golf swing. You don't need to be maxing yourself out on the peloton or doing your crazy hit sessions or whatever to help you with that, you know. Like it's it's not that difficult to build up a level of cardiovascular fitness where slow walking with lots of breaks is easy to do. So then that leads us how do we divide our training time? Well I already touched on that club head speed and also having enough mobility to get into certain positions is gonna have way more of an impact on your golf game. So you can do your strength, power, and mobility training, like we just touched on with the kind of 10, 15, and 20-minute segments that will have way more impact on your golf swing in terms of positions and power. What a lot of people forget is that training's also still gonna have a reasonably good effect on your cardio and should cover all the cardio demands that you need for golf, especially if you walk regularly.
0: No, that's a superb um, explanation for it. I often, um, people ask me like, you know, you're doing some 5Ks. Like, is that for golf? I'm like, no, it's it's so that I can just be generally healthy in general. And um, they ain't the fastest 5Ks in the world. But I, like, I just reply, not. I'm not a fitness expert, but I'm like, I train my golf swing and I do power lifts or whatever else for, for golf if I'm trying to get better cardio wise it's maybe to walk quicker between shots that's what i'm training for there you know it's yeah, no, like, it's exactly, it's, not, it's like it won't have an effect
1: it's not that there's anything like wrong with cardio at all obviously and that's why i said at the start you need to kind of make a decision okay like am i spending all of my training time trying to get as good as possible at golf or do i want to ha- be like as generally healthy as i can and just do stuff i enjoy like i like running i still do it you know what i mean i'd prefer to be able to you know do a wide variety of training then not do any cardio because I'm obsessed with getting another one and a half miles per hour of club head speed. You know what I mean? Like you just absolutely, you basically, you basically decide where your trade-off is. And um, the other thing that's important about cardio lastly then is what golfers do need to be careful of, especially if it's like a high level golfer and someone who's really interested in, in like they need to keep racking their speed up to to kind of maybe make a breakthrough to the next level or whatever is that? We know for certain that high volumes of cardiovascular training do decrease force output in explosive activities. So don't expect your club head speed to raise optimally if you're also doing a lot of cardiovascular training. We know that there's issues with like fiber type transition from uh, fast twitch to slow twitch, and we know that how quickly you can produce force decreases. That's why you don't have people who are training for the 100 meters in the Olympics training with 5Ks and 10Ks. It's a very different type of training, basically. But it's all it's all good for us and it's all healthy. But you just need to, to, to kind of decide how good at each thing you want to get, basically. So something
0: I've really focused on myself over the last 18 months that's made a massive difference to, especially the first three or four holds of my round. So like, for for years i thought it was me cardiovascular wise i was getting hot, hot on the first green it's a big hill in the hinge um i'd be sweating profusely to the second and third third holes and, and then it kind of calmed down or I, th- I thought i'd have calmed down into the round by hole four five six but it was because i hadn't bloody warmed up i was a car park golfer so that's something that i found personally really 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 beneficial um so Numerous people have asked the question of like, what are the best stretches pre-round? So I know a couple, but you're the expert. So what would you recommend as three to four, maybe five stretches or or mobility things to do before a round?
1: Yeah, you you saved yourself there, Paddy. I was going to pull you up on something. So yeah, <laughs> I'm learning, learning yeah. <laughs> week by week. That's that's fine. So what people um, will do better before their golf if they can understand. Is that stretching and warming up are not the same things. So what I mean by that is if you consider traditional static stretching, maybe where somebody puts, say, their foot up on a bench and they're leaning forward to stretch their hamstring and they're holding it for 30 seconds and then they hold the other side, that's fine if you're trying to work on your flexibility. But that's not uh, that's not a warm-up. If we think of what the purpose of a warm-up is. It's to prepare your body for the activity that lays ahead. So i.e., swing in a golf club. Nobody warms up before they before they walk. So we, we don't need to worry about warming up for walking. We're trying to warm up to prepare our body to swing a golf club as well as possible. Static stretching, where we're holding certain positions for, say, 30 seconds and going through a whole variety of isolated stretches, is very different to swinging a golf club, which we know is an explosive activity, kind of using all of your body in, in one unit or in one motion, basically. So what will work work much better than static stretching is some dynamic mobility drills, where you're getting essentially reps of movements through certain ranges of motion. So things where we're working on getting our hips rotating, getting our torso rotating, getting our shoulders uh, lifting overhead, things like that, where we're not just working on, say, stretching out, but we're actually warming up our body and grooving it through the different ranges of motions and positions that we're about to use. And then the other thing that I would say is, don't be afraid to do a little bit of kind of slightly more explosive activity before you start playing golf, um, where you actually move at, at kind of some reasonably high speeds with different things like, depending on kind of your, your fitness level or how, or, how intrigued or how into it you are, like there's nothing wrong with doing a couple of vertical jumps or a couple of explosive push-ups before you play either, not directly before you hit balls, but to finish off your warm-up. Basically, so your body is primed and ready to go. But the main things would be things like getting your hips rotating, make sure they're well warmed up, get your torso rotating, you could do some like overhead uh, arm circles to get your shoulders loosened out. But you should be noticing like that your, your heart rate is elevating a little bit, you're getting warmed up, and you're moving. You're you're not you're not standing in place, just stretching out certain muscles.
0: Absolutely. I suppose that's the the common not flaw, but I suppose differentiating factor people need to know is it's not stretching its mobility. Um because mobility wasn't asked once Um, in questions to you you know it was all like what are the best stretches for this what What are the best stretches for older golfers um but it is it's a mobility exercise what's actually uh, very
1: interesting like is that and i've seen this happen loads of times just in terms of like performance and stuff like that if you do zero warm-up just say for particularly if this is early in the morning and if you say went down to a range or went into a, a simulator or whatever and you didn't warm up and you just started hitting balls you'd be amazed at how many balls and how many swings it takes to actually get to the point where you're warm enough and loosened out enough that you're swinging at say your your capacity basically compared to if you did as little as like 5 to 7 minutes of decent mobility drills got yourself moving warmed up and ready to go before you started swinging like you could be swinging for probably i don't know 15 minutes or probably 25 or i was going to hours. say
0: i i did it i did it last uh september in the Hinch, and i went over and i used the simulator for 30 minutes and it was only kind of after about 20 25 minutes i was like you know what i'm getting i'm at speed now yeah While the, the very next day sorry at the very next day i went over i didn't use the sim and i did mo- my mobility routine for like Eight to ten minutes. Yeah, exact same. Exactly. Well, was actually in a much better position, and I got exactly. cut that day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just—I was just going to say the other thing that you want to consider too is that, like, if you go cold straight into hitting balls, the swings you're making hitting those balls probably aren't going to be very good. So you're not getting a whole lot out of the the practice, and you're probably not going to hit very good shots on the golf course either. Like we all know the the person, or we've done it ourselves, where like ball one is block ob right double bogey to first and <laughs> you're you're off looking at <laughs> right you just scared, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you yeah if you can just get your body basically loosened out and warmed up before you start swinging your hitting shots you're usually going to have a better chance it doesn't guarantee anything but you're going to have a better chance of of probably hitting some some good shots on the first couple of couple of holes or doing an efficient practice session the other thing is you're less likely to get injured
0: no, definitely I yeah. like um, the feeling you get after a bit of mobility is you're like you know your 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 body's primed you know what I mean yeah. so uh, it is you feel more resistant anyway Um question from Mark McGrath here who plays a very high level amateur wise um friend of mine since we're about 12 or 13 years of age but um, so you're slightly primed for this question because you've had it already Um because it's take two but what is the story between uh balancing training for athleticism versus training for golf and um, mark is saying that uh, some trainers maybe that he's been to over customize workouts just for golf whereas if a golfer did power drills like a baseball player that's bound to increase speed or like what's your
1: opinion of that that's a really good question and that's that's pretty hotly debated to be honest even in amongst what would be considered expert trainers or whatever. The, the issue that people run into, in, in my opinion, is when you try to get overly specific with simulating the golf swing with your training exercises, often what happens is that you kind of get stuck in a gray area where you're not really doing anything that is intense enough or creates a large enough stimulus to change any type of fitness component. So what I mean by that is you're not getting stronger, you're not getting more flexible, and you're not getting more powerful. And it's also too far away from like anything that you're trying to improve in your golf swing to benefit that. So you're sort of stuck in this gray area where, fair enough, you're exercising, but you're not really improving your the fitness components that you want to improve, and you're not really improving your golf swing. So it's not that it's not beneficial at all. It's just not really hitting either of them as optimally as it could. So what I like to to explain to people is that rather than using your training time to train your golf swing, use your training time to enhance the physical qualities like mobility, like strength, like power that underpin the golf swing, and then use your, your practice time to work on your golf swing. Too often, I see people, like, say, an example would be trying to simulate a golf swing with, like, a TheraBand or, like, a light dumbbell or something like that. Mm. And it's not really accomplishing anything. They literally get more benefit from doing something as simple as, like, a vertical jump as high in the air as explosively as possible, training lower body power, or doing, like, a medicine ball throw off a side medicine ball throw off a wall as hard as they can or if they can throw a medicine ball, maybe getting like a cable machine and doing as powerful a rotation as they can. Stuff where basically you're teaching your body to move with more power or heavier stuff that are helping you improve your strength levels and increase your muscle mass, that's probably gonna have a better effect than things that are in between golf swing practice and in between actually doing anything that's intense or basically a high enough stimulus to cause change to our physical components um
0: no
1: so that's, oh, that's, great. that's, that's kind of a great answer
0: um, in comparing sports again then is um Gerald at MCV, and he's asking if you can compare some of the guys on the tours what would their fitness abilities compare to in athletes in other sports so i suppose we're looking at the likes of rory kepka dustin johnson scott stallings where they're powerful guys you know what would their fitness abilities compare or do they compare to athletes in other sports
1: Yeah, that's, that is another good question. And like I'd preface that by saying the most, the most important thing there first is to define how you're measuring fitness. Like that's a very broad term in that you could say like, oh, Rory's super fit or DJ's super fit, but compared, compared to who and in what sport, like is, is Michael Phelps fitter than Cristiano Ronaldo? You know what I mean? Like what, how do you measure it? And If we go back to like what fitness for golf is, it's being able to walk 72 holes without much issue. And then the other thing that's hugely uh, determining factor for these ways is how powerful they are, like how fast they can swing the golf club. So I would say that most of the top PGA tour guys or European tour guys, I would say that they are extremely, extremely well trained to meet the demands of their sport but if you put them into another sport, they probably wouldn't stack up pretty well. Like, if you put Rory into the half-back lane in a senior championship match in Gaelic football, like, I don't think he's going to have a hope of keeping up. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> I don't I, think the hammies would, uh, would stand even, up. <laughs>
1: even, even, even just the type of conditioning, like, is so different, you know? Um, or, like, pe- people talk about, like, the most ridiculous thing on golf commentary. Everybody's heard it 50 times. Brooks Kepka looks like a linebacker. Hmm. If you've ever seen a linebacker, Brooks Kepka does not look like one. Like there's <laughs> like the, the the levels of difference, like no offense to to any of those. Like obviously they're they're super athletes. I admire them all hugely. But like when you go to elite sport, people don't realize just how special and just how different those athletes are. Like I can remember when I was in college and you you get basically um you almost get blind to it a little bit when they're all standing next to each other like if you watch a rugby match on tv people you say that say Ronan O'Gara or Keith Earls and fellas like this they're not particularly big guys if you stand <laughs> next to one of them when you see them in like training gear like it's completely different to what you see on tv you know like if you got oh, yeah, absolutely few, yeah you got Brooks absolutely. and stood him next to someone who's playing as a linebacker in the NFL like very quickly That uh, that comparison would would die off, you know. Or if you got DJ and you got him to stand next to somebody who's playing in the in the NBA, like they are very good athletes, but they're very good athletes for golfers. Like they're not, they're not like they're not at the level of athleticism in terms of power and strength and fitness, because they don't need to be that athletes in sports where that's a bigger determining factor are basically.
0: No, definitely like and then the, um... the last
1: thing I'd say though is. There's also no, there's also probably no benefit to them trying to get to that level, because it might not help their golf game that much. Like I did a, I did a workshop in September last year in Ireland, and the first slide I put up on the screen was just like eight photos, and in the photos I had these top athletes from different sports, like Ronaldo, Phelps, a breach Corkery from GAA, um, a Usain Bolt. And I also had John Daly smoking a cigarette at the top of his backswing as he went on to win the British Open. And like people, I was trying to say to them, I was like, who in this photo is the fittest? And like, if you consider Daly, obviously he's not what most people would consider fit, but he's unbelievably powerful, he's unbelievably flexible, and he would no problem walking around the golf course. So is Daly fit for golf? Yeah, he probably is. Now, is he healthy? Not particularly. Could he be fitter from a general sense? Yes. But who's to tell him that he, his body isn't working the way it needs to for mastering his sport? Like he was averaging over 300 yards before like the explosion of the big equipment. Yeah, in before, 91. Like, you <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So that's, that's just a good analogy of fitness needs to be like determined, like what, what metrics are we using? Like, for example, Usain Bolt, like obviously one of the best athletes ever, but for about 20 seconds. So if you've got or Bolt or to do nine, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And it's 200 meter time. Coolant, oh, yeah, exactly, of course, yeah. That, that might even take longer to be beaten, I, I think. But um, so if you if you take him and like, are you going to tell you like there's probably there's probably people who are like recreational runners, say in Ireland, probably hundreds of them who would absolutely hammer Usain Bolt in a 10k or a half marathon who's fitter. You know what I mean? Like that person might yeah. also do do the 100 meters in 12 seconds or 13 seconds, whereas Bolt's you know taken off his spikes and he's finished. So <laughs> you, you know what I mean. You need you, yeah, need, you need he's around his victory need, Yeah, there needs to be some context on on fitness levels and how exactly they're measured. You know.
0: No, definitely. Um, I used to. say I wasn't. Um, Fit for GAA, I was built for for hitting people, and I measure by what I put over the bar, not by how fast I can run on the pitch. Um, and the coach didn't right? buy that one, though. I didn't buy that oh, one.
1: <laughs> well, like in in GAA, like everybody team has the unbelievably explosive full forward who is an absolute nightmare to try and mark for five meters.
0: Yeah, Colin Carkey, there you go.
1: Yeah, or or even someone like um, even someone like say uh, Brian Hurley or someone like that, or but then you'll also have the player who's unbelievably good at getting up and down the field. And if you got that player to try and mark the full forward who's unbelievably explosive over five meters, he doesn't have a hope. But then if you get the unbelievably explosive full forward, put him out half back or half forward and tell him to mark that wing back or wing forward. He's I know down I'm lost out there, Mike. Forward. I'm lost out there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then, it, then, then again, like it's, it's, diff- it's a different type of fitness, you know, so yeah. it needs yeah. there always needs to be context on it, basically
0: absolutely so anybody listening um when you're when you're talking fitness make sure it's in context and yes. um, the third part of, of what we're focusing on is nutrition and emo Driscoll asked the question of and especially for a guy who's released an ebook and quite a good one at that some decent recipes in there mike what is your opinion between the relationship with nutrition on and off the course and how it can how it can affect performance on the
1: golf course so It can definitely play a role. What I would say is that good nutrition doesn't guarantee that your golf will improve or doesn't guarantee that you'll have a good round or a good season. And poor nutrition also doesn't guarantee that you'll play poorly or that you won't have a good round or a good season. But if you want to give yourself your best chance of maximizing your performance, then I think it only makes sense that you're going to have basically as good energy levels, as good as concentration levels, and to be in as good health as possible. There's loads of examples of world-class golfers who have been, say, in very good shape, who have not been in, in particularly good shape. And we all have kind of stories, too, of the day when we shot our best score with a hangover. And we all have stories of playing a really good round when we'd been practicing for hours a day and making sure we did everything perfectly in the lead up. So there's nothing guaranteed with nutrition, but If you want to give yourself the best chance of of long-term progress and kind of maximize your potential then i think it is an important thing to take consideration of especially if you wanted to be like supporting energy levels for being able to put in as much practice and as much training as possible and give yourself as good a chance as possible as having maximum concentration in the last few holes or if you're playing multiple rounds in a day that's when it can get really important
0: no, absolutely. I was listening to a podcast, the Hoop podcast with Rory McIlroy this morning. Um, and that's an element he really focuses on is not food for performance, but more so food for recovery, which is very interesting. And yeah. that you'll have like you'll have the protein and um, the protein balls or a banana or whatever on the course or maybe a bit of Wilson. I think he sneaks into the bag or Wilson and. Um, but for him, is to eat as quickly as possible, especially when a round finishes late, because he has found, obviously, through using a hoop, he says, but if he eats late, it affects his sleep, which then affects his uh, performance the next day, which I thought was yeah, quite interesting.
1: Definitely. So people get extremely confused and focus on very minor or what kind of the buzz term would be micro factors in terms of recovery and that's when people start asking about like foam rolling or the recovery boots or like massage or saunas and stuff like that the two best things that we have for recovery by far are nutrition and hydration and sleep so if you can sleep well and you can eat and hydrate well that's gone like i don't know 90% of the way towards your recovery the other thing that people forget about recovery is that it's a lot easier to recover if you're in good shape.
0: Not definitely. Um, moving on to speed for a little bit. um Nails McGlynn, so actually my coach Niall. Um, he's a speed machine. So it's something he's working on is to get to 130 miles an hour swing speed. He's not far off. I think he's hit it once, but wow. he's trying to, you know, get it up, get it up, get it up. So he has like the he has like the Thor hammer golf swing for when he really needs to put it out there. And then he has like the, the gamer. That's what you're trying to work on. But for his question to you is, can you prioritize um, three main aspects or exercises that you can focus on to increase speed?
1: I will go with aspects rather than exercises. The yeah. reason being is that if people understand principles, then it's very easy to select the methods that you want to follow. But if you, if you concentrate on exercises, that often doesn't give people the kind of underpinning understanding of what you're actually trying to accomplish. And this will tie in nicely with what I touched on earlier in terms of splitting your training session into three different elements. They're going to be the same elements that are important for power from a physical standpoint. So real quick on maximizing speed for each golfer. Number one is swing technique. That's not really my job. That's going to be your your instructor. It's not his job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Number num- number two is equipment. So get a get a good club fitter. Make sure your club is is fitting you properly. And, and for golf three, custom, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then number three is is physical training. So from your physical training, your first thing that you need to make sure is mobility. Reason being is that if your mobility is really poor, you're going to struggle getting enough range of motion or a long enough swing that gives you time to develop power. So if I got you, Paddy, or anyone to set up and I got them to bring their, say, hands back so that they only get to their right pocket, and I said, create as much clubhead speed as you can from here, you'll be much slower, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you, you, you don't have enough time to create force and momentum. Whereas if we keep swinging, say, all the way back to wherever we get to, let's just say, club parallel to the ground or you know hands over our shoulder or whatever, when we get back here, we've now bought ourselves more time to develop momentum and force in the downswing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So For people who struggle with mobility, oftentimes their club head speed improves just from improving mobility because by making a longer swing, they've given themselves more time to build force, momentum, and speed on the downswing as opposed to someone who is a very short swing. Absolutely. The second thing then is what what power or what clubhead speed really is is a display of power. And power is governed by how much force you can produce and how quickly you can apply it. So, if we can increase our maximum strength levels, usually by moving heavy things, and then we can improve how quickly we can apply that force by practicing moving at faster and faster speeds that usually has a really strong transfer over to improving club head speed. A mistake that many people make is they either concentrate on just trying to get as strong as possible because they've read an article or they've listened to, to someone giving advice who's on sort of one side of the fence, or they go the other route, which is they say, the golf swing's all about speed, so I'm just gonna work with my speed sticks. And what happens with both of those approaches is they'll both work, but neither of them will work as well as somebody who tops up their strength levels. So they top up their force produc- production capabilities and they top up how quickly they can apply that force with their speed training. So in without getting too complicated, power is force multiplied by velocity. So if we can improve both sides of that equation, we improve our force with heavy strength training, we improve our velocity with very, very fast speed training, if we can get both sides of those of the both sides of that equation improved rather than just focusing on one of them you're going to be in a good spot to improve speed especially if your mobility is clear enough that you're not struggling to make as long a swing as you need to give you enough time to produce force or momentum
0: that's fantastic i love that you mentioned speed sticks because it's it kind of brings into the the one of the final two questions here. So, Owl Dien is, is a listener from Scotland and he's asking if you were to buy a couple of pieces of equipment for exercising at home, which I think is quite apt for the time we're living in right now, what
1: would those pieces of equipment be? I just wrote a blog with links with explaining the equipment that I recommend and links to it. Um, which will make this easy for people if you can put that in the in the show, show notes
0: below. Yeah, they're all be in the show yeah. notes below. No fear, top.
1: But like, so if you can get people to have either some dumbbells or kettlebells. Dumbbells and kettlebells are interchangeable. I would say having one that's reasonably heavy for doing some kind of strength stuff, like pushing and pulling and squatting. So maybe something like about twenty kilos, roughly. Maybe maybe sixteen kilos, roughly. And then you can have one that's a little bit lighter, maybe for doing some like conditioning type stuff. If you wanted to be doing some like kettlebell swing kind of complexes for higher reps to build the cardio a little bit. Um, So maybe like a 12 kg. So if you could have someone to have say like a 12 kg and a 20 kg dumbbell or kettlebell would be pretty good. If you could get some resistance bands or tubing, resistance bands and tubing are really good for rotational exercises. You can also do a lot of um, like, Uh, pressing and rowing exercises with them. Uh, you'd You'd have a lot of it there, to be honest, with a kettlebell or dumbbells and some bands or tubing. That covers a lot of it. Another thing that people can do, especially if they're interested in power and strength and they don't have access to heavy equipments, it looks a bit weird, but it's really effective, is something that's called isometrics. Isometrics are where we're pushing or pulling as hard as we can against an immovable object. So I put a couple of videos up on Twitter in the last few days, um, a really good one, like most people will be familiar with, say, like a deadlift or a hex bar deadlift. You can create maximum tension, which is really good for developing strength by looping a towel under both your feet hinging over into like a squat or deadlift position and basically pulling against the towel as hard as you can. So trying to push your feet down and pull the towel up, that would be a really good lower body one. Or you could do an upper body one where you're essentially trying to do like a single arm chest press against a wall or something like that. They're really good for max strength, which is something that a lot of people miss in their home workouts because they only have very light weights. So I would use your light weights for basically doing your kind of cardio and higher rep stuff. You can do some jumping or some med ball throwing if you have them for your power stuff. And then for your maximum strength stuff, don't be afraid to try out some of those isometrics. So pushing or pulling against the movable objects. What's also nice about those is they're an extremely safe way to develop strength. But um, that that blog post has uh, three or four uh, workouts that people can try showing like zero equipment if you just have bands if you just have a dumbbell and i would bring them through that
0: no oh, super stuff and the last question of the q a and it's something actually that follows on from the previous podcast um episode and you've mentioned them a couple of times is speed sticks or super speed golf there are a couple of other brands out there yes or no and do they work so that was a question someone put in
1: um So I touched on this a little bit when I was talking about training strength and speed. Speed sticks definitely work. Uh, I would give them overall the thumbs up for definite. But what I would say is that speed sticks should be a very small part of an overall training program rather than the training program. So if we think of what I was talking about there, like we want to improve mobility, strength, power, speed. Speed sticks are gonna cover that little speed section, but I also would like people to do some general power work, some general strength work, and some mobility work. They do work. What I found is that if people only do speed sticks and don't do the other elements, they have a very rapid increase in their swing speed, but then after a few weeks, those gains start to plateau because basically what they've done is they've learned how to coordinate the strength and power they already have Kind of as well as possible. But until they improve their raw materials, basically their strength and power, their horsepower, that plateau is kind of going to stay there. But if they can simultaneously bump up their strength, then transfer it to speed with their speed sticks. Bump up their strength, then transfer it to speed with their speed sticks and keep that kind of stepwise progression going, that tends to work way better. And then the last thing that I will say on speed sticks is be careful. And this, is, this actually goes for when people get like a sky track or a hitting net at home, too, the injuries in golf, like small kind of naggy overuse injuries, are getting way more common based on emails and questions I'm getting. And I think it's because now people have access to hitting balls or swinging speed sticks at home. So you get someone who like hasn't really been practicing. They buy speed sticks or they get a hitting net or a simulator or something, and they go from like a small number of swings or zero swings per week at home. And then they do like a few hundred. And all of a sudden they have a cranky golfer's elbow or they have a cranky neck or a lower back or something like that. So I would say easier easier way into them. Like speed sticks are probably more stressful than what most people will consider like stressful exercises that are lifting or power exercises in the gym. When you're swinging something as fast as you can, especially if you're not particularly that well conditioned or prepared, You need to be careful of injury risk with those, especially if you're doing a lot of them.
0: Yeah, it's like, Anthony, it's like like physiotherapists. Um, They love February because everyone goes back to the gym in January and hurts themselves uh, because they haven't done a tap for weeks and And then go at it
1: hard. Um, And every GA team has about four hamstring tears in the first Two weeks of pre-season <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's the same so
0: um load management that's something i've definitely learned in the last year yeah like s- is, um...
1: slow and like slow consistent progress i like most people they are a lot of people make a mistake when they're going from like they're out of shape they haven't been training a lot they get some motivation to train most people go way too hard at the beginning while their enthusiasm is high and what happens then is they either pick up an injury, like, a, they, like, for example, someone who goes running, picks up like shin splints or a pain in their knee. Someone who starts hitting way more golf balls than they're used to gets a pain in their lower back. And it's not really that they're doing, that they're doing anything wrong. It's just too sudden, a spike in their activity. You want your activity to be gradually increasing so your body has a chance to adapt to it. And then mm-hmm. you can continue improving for a very long time. If you go into things all guns blazing and do way too much, you'll either get injured or what happens is after a while, like you've nowhere to go in terms of further increasing what you're doing to continue sort of driving fitness benefits. You're like basically redlining it straight away and it, it, it doesn't work out essentially. You can't, you can't rush like fitness or, or basically training improvements. Like they, they take as long as they take. And if you try and do it any faster... You're probably just going to get burnt out or injured
0: yeah your, your body will break down first before before the progress will even set in sometimes yeah. but um, we're on to the best part of the, of, of the episode which is the quick fire Q&A Mike so are you ready for this? yeah so what would your walk on song be?
1: X Gonna Give It To You by DMX
0: Jez I haven't heard that in a long time Uh, That'll bring That's That's, a blast from the past That is
1: If you're ever lacking A bit of motivation now In the gym paddy or To to get up Oh it's
0: going straight I have a playlist for this You know I have a playlist on Spotify For walk-on songs So that's going (laughs) straight into it Uh, Gym or pizza Gym Hat Visor Or a Keelan Rafferty Bucket hat
1: Hat
0: Happy Gilmore Or tin cup
1: Happy Gilmore
0: Guinness or Heineken Guinness Le or Port Marnock
1: Played neither But I'm hoping to play the Hinch In September If I get to come home With this Coronavirus stuff So I'll be sending you A text Paddy Don't worry
0: oh, good man Walk or cart
1: Definitely walk
0: Win the Masters Or win the Open Masters Would you rather drive it 300 yards every time Or never miss A 10 foot putt
1: Never miss A 10 foot putt
0: Instagram or Twitter Twitter Play or practice
1: uh, probably practice I, I i should play more but i, I definitely practice more when
0: well, you're quite the analytical person um thank you very much for your time mike i look forward to getting stuck into uh, more baking and, and cooking at home with your ebook um, and i might even log into one of your zoom workouts thank you very much
1: excellent you're welcome patty uh, if anybody has any questions feel free to reach out the the best place to contact me is by email fitforgolf18 at gmail.com and uh, I'd be happy to try and help anyone who has any questions or anything like that. Super stuff. Thanks for having Have us. again, Paddy. Cheers. Appreciate it.
0: That was indeed Michael Carroll of Fit for Golf over on Instagram and Twitter. Check him out putting out really good content. Also doing live at home workouts given everybody self-isolating and staying at home and staying safe and washing our hands a billion times. When you're finished watching Mike though, check out my new project, my concept, my dream, which is The Golf House, Uh, called The Golf House because my little boy does what he calls the range in the golf club and um, the golf house we want a golf house today dad and say so, yeah we sure are so check it out it's my dream it's my concept of creating a holistic strange word that but it means end to end all all under one roof everything you need for golf so we're talking indoor and outdoor practice facilities simulators putting studios and indoor pitching area that's all in the conceptual ideas here But what do we need to do? We need to follow the golf house, the golf HSE, maybe the health service, (laughs) golf wise for some people too. But we're gonna start off with a trivia sports quiz weekly. It's free, it's on Zoom and Kahoot. That's we're gonna try and use those two platforms. So maybe have the screen opened for the zoom and have someone else in the family on on the phone or on another laptop maybe or tablet uh using the coot, and we all have some fun while at home and we might get away from the endless netflix and amazon prime box sets um lots of us have completed netflix at this stage but check out the golf House; it's there on instagram twitter and facebook um and i am thinking of changing the youtube to the golf house also it's a bit of fun it's a bit of crap but also raise awareness of this project this concept of mine and um, we'll try and build a really fun community and engage together socially while being socially distant um, and bit weird to say but that's the life we live in at the moment and may you all stay safe thank you all for pressing play please share the show with your family and friends until we tee up again soon i'm Patty.